Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie Ann Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time library book wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, dancer and homeschooling mum who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens for our 55th episode. Hi. Hi, everyone. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm just... I'm in COVID branded mode. Um, how are you, Pamela? <laughs> COVID branded mode. <laughs> no, actually, I, we we actually had a taste of freedom today. I my kids' hairdresser, they had so many demands to open up that they opened up uh, a couple oh, of days wow. ago, and we got an appointment. <laughs> oh, well done. I'd re- resorted to um, trimming fringes by myself, so we escaped. And um, did that and went and did some uh, grocery shopping while we're out. And the kids are like, oh, my gosh, it's so good to be out again. Oh, I bet. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. So yep. today. It was quite nice. Great. Yes, we're surviving lockdown, I guess. And, yeah, can't complain. I think, I think we're sort of – we're comfortably in a – yeah, we're comfortable now. We're used to it, I think, now. Is, is, yep. Yep. So um, – but um, looking forward to, you know, it's, things are starting to look up, so we're looking forward to getting out. Yeah. So anyway. tell us what is the title of today's book. Yeah, so today I'm reviewing The Tell by Martin Chatterton, which uh, was published by Penguin Random House Australia and released today as we record on the 28th of April 2020. Mm. Would you share the jacket blurb with us? The world turns on moments like these, crossroad moments, a toss of the coin. I see half my face in deep shadow, eyes glittering like diamonds, the resemblance to my father never stronger. Ray Tannock is not like other 14-year-olds. His dad is a mafia boss. His dad is also in jail. When Ray's life explodes, every decision he makes will shape the rest of his life. How far does the apple really fall from the tree? Oh wow! This this reminds me a little bit of Tristan Banks for some reason. Um, the is it Boy Swallows Universe? Oh no, you're um you're thinking of um Trent Dalton, yeah. Oh no, yeah, that's what. No, no, it's there's Tristan. Tristan Banks has got sort of a. Oh, uh, maybe I'm reaching. <laughs> I, I don't know. Read, I I huh? think there is. I haven't read any of them. I'm and, and after reading this I'm like, oh I should. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, it's a, let's just say it's a bit different for me today. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> and what genre would you class this as? Uh I guess broadly you classify it as action and adventure, but it's crime for kids. It's actually yeah. it's actually upper middle grade. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like middle grade horror, really, isn't it? Like, yeah. who'd have thought that'd be so awesome? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And what is the estimated word count? Uh, when I did my estimation, 
my you know guesstimation for this, I came up with almost sixty thousand words, but I don't know, it didn't feel like that. It it yeah. might be a bit under that, but yeah, I was surprised. It didn't feel long. Yeah, okay. Good and, time. <laughs> and what drew you to this book? So this is one of those books that came across my desk, figuratively speaking. And as I said, it's not something I'd normally choose, but I was intrigued and because I like to mix things up a bit, I thought I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go for this. It looks good. Great. And tell us about it. Yeah, so Ray Tannock's dad is a mafia boss in Sydney and he's currently in jail. Uh, Ray's brother Solo is already part of the, quote, family business, end quote, as they call it. But Ray has decided that perhaps he'd like to do something else with his life. But before he can tell his dad, his world is turned upside down. His dad escapes from jail. The police superintendent who is heading up the, happen- who is heading up the hunt happens to be his sort of girlfriend's dad. And members of his dad's rival crime family are trying to kill him, his brother, and his mum. With the help of his two friends, Candy and Ids, Ray is fighting to stay alive and all the while trying not to cross the invisible line that to him signifies he's made the commitment to join the family crime business. Oh, wow. Mm. This sounds very, um, like, edge of your seat. Yes, definitely. Very edge of your seat, yeah. Yeah. And overall enjoyment. Yeah, so I'll get to that. <laughs> so one <laughs> of the comparison books for this is Boys Swallows Universe, um, a younger version of Boys Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton, um, which I have to admit I haven't read yet. But when I was 14 or 15, I was completely besotted by another coming-of-age book, which, which is this, called The Outsiders. Did you ever read that? We had to read that for school. Yeah, yeah, so, so, yeah, yeah, so we loved it. That's, that's yeah. how I got it. And um, I think I read it about a dozen, like literally at least a dozen times. I just fell in love with it. And it was so far away from my other favourites, which were, you know, Anne of Green Gables and The Secret Garden. But there was just something I loved about it. It took me right away from my middle-class life and exposed me to danger and crime in a way that I'd never imagined. And then there yeah. were these lovable kids who'd lost their parents and they were good kids but caught up on the wrong side of the law and it really gave me an insight into how people can get into trouble through circumstances beyond their control. The tell is similar in many ways. Ray, whose worst crime is illegal street art, is brought up among some of the worst crime you can imagine. And of course, he's he's shielded from it, shielded from it mostly. But he knows, you know, he lives in this huge house and goes to an expensive private school, and people are scared of his family. And like the characters in The Outsiders, he just wants to live a normal life, but family is standing in his way. And so this this book really reminded me of The Outsiders. And, um, for, yeah, for those things, I really liked it as well. And, I mean, the other some of the other similarities are with the voice. The voice is quite compelling um, and yeah. it's told in the first-person point of view from Ray's point of view. Um, but it was, it was a really well-written book as well. And I did this wonderful interview yesterday with an author, a South African author called Hayley Chewins, um, which we will release in our next episode. Um, and in it, we talk about darkness in children's books. And this book immediately comes to mind because there's police brutality, there's child abuse, there's police corruption, there's mafia, there's theft and, and you know, all this going on. But the book is written, you know, it's middle grade. It's upper middle grade, yeah. but it's still middle grade. And the book is written with this <clears throat> overtone of hope, you know. And so it's not 
overly dark. It's something that kids can handle. You know, most kids would be able to handle. And yeah. it's just it's handled in this real sort of gentle and not overly descriptive manner. I, yeah. So, I mean, to me, I was like, ooh, these are pretty dark themes, you know. But reading it, I was like, yeah, you know, like it's fine. Um, yeah. Especially when you talk about upper middle grade. So, did I enjoy it? Yes, I did very much. In fact, I read it in a day, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. I was just absolutely drawn into this fourteen-year-old world, fourteen-year-old's world, from the very beginning, and just kept on turning the pages to find out what happened to him. It was really oh. well done. Yep. And who will love this book? What age would you re- recommend it for? Yeah, I'd say probably twelve and up. Great for teens. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great fast-paced coming-of-age book. Sweet. And do you think reluctant readers would enjoy this book? Actually, yeah, I think it would be fantastic for reluctant teens. If you've got a boy who's struggling with more literary texts, this might be a great alternative. It's accessible and it's compelling and, you know, really well written. And it's set in Sydney. Um, so the locations and the vernacular are also very accessible and familiar as well. So, yeah, I think it's a good one for reluctant teens. Oh, teen. cool. And yeah. I've just thought of the other author that I think I should have said. It's um, Jack Heath. Is that it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I see yep. them on the library shelf all the time and they're that sort of real 14, you know, 12 to 14-year-old sort of boy, uh, I don't know, we should yeah. call it. Like, yeah. He's got those a lot kind now. of yeah. Yeah, mafioso manuscripts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's got a lot actually, um, a lot out. And I have been meeting to check out some of um, Jack Heath's books. So if any listeners have any recommendations of where to start, that would be great because I don't generally read in that area. And I might have to start pre-reading them soon because, you yes. know, I've got an almost tween boy yeah. um, and, you know, coming up behind him. So, um, yeah, and like I said, this is a new area. I generally tend towards the sort of, you know, fantasy and, and magical realism. So, yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Mm. Um, so, Julie, I think you're doing two books today, aren't you? One. Oh, just one. Sorry. I never Sorry. finished the other one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we won't keep, we won't keep our listeners in suspense too much. No. Okay, so what is the one book you're reviewing for us today, Julie? So I am reviewing The Year the Maps Changed by Danielle Binks, illustrated by Astrid Hicks, published by Hachette in April 2020. Actually, I think it's published today. Yeah, I think it yeah. is. I think I saw on Twitter Danielle was celebrating her yeah. ISO launch. So Hooray <laughs> for Danielle. Yep. Congratulations, Danielle. Yeah. So I'm, I'm quite intrigued by the story, actually. Can you share the, the jacket blurb with us? Sure. Sorrento, Victoria, 1999. Fred's family is a mess. Her mother died when she was six and she's been raised by her pop and adoptive father, Luca, ever since. But now Pop's had to go away and Luca's girlfriend Annika and her son have moved in. More and more it feels like a land grab for her family and Fred is the one being left off the map. Even as things feel like they're spinning out of control for Fred, a crisis from the other side of the world comes crashing in. When a group, when a group of Kosovo Albanian refugees are brought to a government safe haven not far from Sorrento, their fate becomes intertwined with the lives of Fred and her family in ways that no one could ever have expected. A middle grade coming of age story inspired by true events about the bonds of family, the weight of grief and the power of compassion. 
Wow, that sounds amazing. And two um, coming-of-age stories in one episode. That's just How did ask. we manage that? <laughs> <laughs> we're, on the, we're on the way. We've got a wavelength thing here going. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, so the genre, what genre is this? This is middle-grade historic fiction with a hearty dose of heart. And it's set in Sorrento. That's yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's 1999, but it's historic. <gasps> Oh, I know. <laughs> um, so how, uh, what's the, what was the word count? What do you think? I'd say this was about, actually, I think I know it's 80K right. <laughs> from Danielle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even have to guesstimate. Oh, you actually asked her. Yes. 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 And um, I probably don't need to ask, but what drew you to this book? Well, I'm going to say two things. The cover by Astrid Hicks. It's just fantastic. Um, and also Danielle is a friend, so it was a no-brainer. I asked for an advanced copy as I knew I wanted to give this book as much love as we could, especially since it's being launched amidst a global pandemic. So, yeah. I can't imagine how frustrating it is to be, I mean, Danielle's not exactly a debut author, but this is her first Middle grade, yes. yes. Middle grade, yeah. yeah. But just to have a debut coming out and during this time, oh my gosh, I feel so yeah. bad for everyone. Yeah. Just, oh. So, um, can you tell us more about this book? Sure. It's 1999, and Winifred, or better known as Fred, lost her mother some time ago. So she's been raised by her stepfather, Luca, and her pop. Fred missed her mum, but life was good until Annika and Sam came along. Fred has feelings of being usurped, not just by Annika and Sam, but because Annika is having Luca's baby. To top it all off, Luca is a policeman and he's been given the task of ensuring a group of refugees from Kosovo are settled into a place the government is calling Haven. Life for Fred and Sam is rocky to start with, but everything spins out of control when Annika is rushed to hospital. Visiting a hospital is the last thing Fred wants to do, but being a dutiful stepdaughter, she does. There she meets a young mum-to-be called Nora, a refugee who will change the course of Fred's life forever. For some things are worth fighting for, and Fred comes to realise basic human rights are definitely one of them. Mm. But the Haven, it was an actual place, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, still there, I think, as well. Mm. Yep. Um, and how did you enjoy this, this book? Oh, yeah. This was an emotional roller coaster that I was willing to ride and didn't want to get off. Early on, I felt invested in Fred's internal life, her struggles, her uncertainty, but even more so when the pieces of her life map kept changing. Fred's narrative was so detailed and nuanced, I felt every emotion she felt along with rage and despair about the Kosovo crisis, which is hardly something we seem to have learned from in the some 20 years since. This was a coming-of-age tale, which I don't often like saying, as it seems so cliched, but this was anything but cliched. It was heartfelt and heart-rendering, and I truly commend Danielle for her courage to tell a tale that seems somewhat forgotten in Australian history. Well, good on Danielle for... For you know, addressing this and, and yeah. finding a story in this, yeah, yeah. Um, so who will love this book? What age do you recommend it for? This is definitely an upper middle grade read, which I think kids age ten plus will enjoy. Yeah, 
Beautiful. And do you think it's a good one for reluctant readers? Oh, this is a confident reader, folks, as the story is a slow burn to a tumultuous conclusion. But I highly recommend riding that roller coaster and you will not come away unchanged in the best possible way. Lovely. I, yeah, I really want to have a look at this one. Well, there you go. That's Thanks it. for that, Julie. But don't run away, folks, as I have a wonderful interview with Danielle coming up. We'll see you next time. Here we are at Middle Grade Mavens and a little recap for our listeners. We've recently reviewed The Year the Maps Changed by Danielle Binks, illustrated by Astrid Hicks, published by Hachette in April 28, 2020. Now, I personally find it fabulous to hear the story of how a book came to be. We thought it would be awesome to invite Danielle into the Middle Grade Mavens hot seat for some authorly banter. And guess what? She agreed. So hi, Danielle, and thanks for joining <laughs> at Middle Grade Mavens. Thank you so much. Is this my third time on yes. the show? It yes. is. Yeah, I'm a regular <laughs> now. How cool. <laughs> you are our highest um, uh, interview attendee. <laughs> <laughs> winning fantastic totally winning but you are on the other side of the um publishing industry this time so tell us danielle where did you get your start in writing oh gosh probably i mean going a little bit far back now but probably officially getting my start in writing was i wrote fan fiction from the age of 15 to 22 and I was very heavily into things like Twilight, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, West Wing, wow. uh, <laughs> fan fiction writing and that was all posting anonymously online uh, and I still have my accounts active and I still occasionally get people reading it and commenting on it and liking it which is very surreal Funny. but yeah <laughs> probably as a teenager writing fan fiction and delving deep into other people's worlds before having the courage to build my own yeah yay oh it's so great you can still sort of step back and have a, an occasional look and maybe occasional cringe but yeah <laughs> see how far you've come yeah looking at the you know 34 chapter stories <laughs> I would write but that were just they were just VC Andrews-esque soap operatic yep Oh, uh, extravaganzas. I really probably should go back and, and reread. Yeah. But, yeah, it, they're still there. They're, you know, it's like a little time capsule. They still exist on the internet. Yeah. Uh, I won't say what my username is, but they are still up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so where did you get your inspiration for the year the maps changed? Uh, my life, really. Mm -hmm. it's, it's based on a true story. Uh, based on real events that occurred in 1999 and much like my protagonist Fred is in the book in 1999 I was 11 going on 12 and this yep. thing really did happen close to home on the Mornington Peninsula where I live which was the Australian government flew in 4,000 Kosovo Albanian refugees at the height of the Kosovo war and NATO bombings yep. and they placed them they placed them in eight Opera, um, in eight safe havens in uh, five different locations around Australia and one of those locations was at the Point Nepean quarantine station at the very yep. tip of the Mornington Peninsula and I remembered that and I kind of just squirreled it away Yeah. and 
you know, events being what they are in Australia, I got to thinking about refugees and asylum seekers. And the more I thought on those events of 1999, I realised that that was a real tipping point in Australia's history. Yep. I mean, if you think that the East Timor crisis was happening alongside the Kosovo War in 1999 and Australia's involvement in that, and then if you think that in 2001, in August of 2001, it was the Children Overboard Affair. Yes, of course, yep. And then in September 2001, it was 9-11 happened. And it's just these these markers in our history that lead us to where we are now, which is a country that abuses human rights in the way yep. that we treat asylum seekers and refugees. And I just thought that there is a case study to be made that we kind of started going off the rails a little bit in 1999, even as our Howard-era government did a little bit of the right thing. Yeah. They also basically laid down the groundwork policy-wise for the way that we still treat ref- ref- uh, refugees today. Which yeah, is often, definitely. You know, it's the, it's the temporary asylum instead of permanent protection. And that all can be traced back to Operation Safe Haven, which is what I write about. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very much inspired by real events, very much inspired by my own life and memories of that time. Yeah. Um, and it is historic fiction happening 20 years ago, which is a little bit hard to grapple with since, I, like I said, it's based on my own memories. Yeah. But I, I, I thought it was an important part of our history for kids to examine. Be. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So what is your writing process? Did you plot this or did you just sort of pants it? <laughs> oh, I'm totally a pantser and I pants this for five years. So I don't recommend <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Fantastic. I, 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 I pants. I pantsed all over the place. I pantsed my memories. I pantsed the research. I spent probably a lot of those five years procrastinating. And, you know, in those five years, I joined Jacinda DeMarze Management as a literary yeah. agent in, 20, in 2016. So that also overtook a lot of my writing when I was trying to build myself myself up as literary agent. And yeah. then when I was also, you know, seeing the behind the scenes of publishing and realising oh, this is really hard. And that kind of scared me off sharing it for a really long time. Yeah. But, yeah, it was it was five years of writing, researching, remembering, procrastinating, pantsing. Yeah. I'm not a plotter. I'm, I, I have the best of intentions of plotting, but my version of plotting is creating a, a, a new Word document and occasionally visiting it and putting down <laughs> little little one-liners and, and bits of dialogue and ideas randomly. And so long as I keep it random and, and really informal, then it doesn't freak me out too much and I'm yeah, happy to sure. revisit it. But the yeah. second I try to start plotting it, it all kind of falls apart and I start doubting everything. And, yeah. and I, I always remember Melina Marquetta saying what stops most people from writing is a fear that the idea in their head is not going to be as great on the page. Yes, of course. Yep. And I, I just have this kind of fear that if I plot it out, I'm going to instantly see that and be afraid that it's not very good. But if I pants it, if I kind of come at it and sneak up on the story a little bit, yep. <laughs> I, I can almost trick myself into thinking the whole time that yep. I'm just I'm just playing, I'm just spitballing, this is just a little flop bunny, I'm just going to have fun with it. And then yep. at the end, like, oh, 40,000 words of me just playing and, you know, and, and then it's suddenly a thing. So I yeah. kind of stick up. I, I, my my thing with pantsing is a sort of a sneak attack pantsing. Like I really am trying to pull my own pants down. Oh, that sounds so wrong. But yeah. Uh, 
So, I mean, you said you think it took about five years, but when you mention research, like what kind of research do you mean? Do you go to the National Archive? Do you look online? Do you talk to people? No, this was, uh, so this was, uh, originally it was going down to Point Nepean and visiting the site, like visiting the actual quarantine station. Of course, yeah. Having, have, you know, visiting the towns like Sorrento and just having a look at, like, I know these towns anyway, but just having a look around and doing that a few times. And then really early on in the process, I didn't even know if I wanted this to be middle grade or YA. A big part yep. of me thought, you know, I'm known as a young adult supporter and maybe people will expect me to write a young adult novel first up. So maybe I should make this YA. Yeah. So when I was grappling with those ideas, for some reason, I thought, cool, I'll make it YA and I'll put a bit more distance between myself and the location. So I, I traveled to Singleton in New South Wales, which was another location of the safe haven. Sure. Um, so I traveled to Singleton, had a look at the army base there that was the location of the safe haven. And then I went to the library in Singleton and had a wonderful librarian who pulled out all these newspaper archives for me that I got to photograph and, and document and keep a running Fantastic. list of. So libraries really saved me in this instance. Um, and then when I decided that, no, there's something to this story in Australia as a fairly, you know, young colonized nation having a tipping point into going down a bad path with refugees and asylum seekers. There's something in that being a coming of age story almost. So yeah. I think I should, I should pitch this younger. And then once I opened myself up to that idea, my character Fred started to come out in the voice a little bit and I decided, yeah, I'm going to make this middle grade. Yeah. And then I decided, well, because I was 11 going on 12 in 1999, why don't I just go whole hog and set this where I live on the Mornington Peninsula and yep. once I did that as well, it opened me up to things like Trove Library and the National Library, absolutely, and finding historic yep. photographs from that time, specifically at the at the Point Nepean quarantine station and stuff. So yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of li library research because they are the keepers of our memories. So I was very yes. grateful for public libraries. Oh, I love hearing that because, as you know, I work in a public library and our, our Williamstown library has a full yeah. heritage collection with microfiche and everything. So yeah, very, very um, important. Like that is the reason this book exists is because of libraries. So my gosh, yep. they are vital. So wonderful. So can you share the story of how the book came to be contracted? Was that the sort of roller coaster journey that you're used to as an agent or... What's it like on the other on the other foot? Oh, I was kind of lucky in that being agent. I kind of had an idea of who I thought editor-wise would like this and who I thought I'd really like to work with. Not that I don't want to work with any everyone, but I just kind of knew who was looking for contemporary middle grades and who would look for maybe a quieter book because this is a kind of quiet book in a lot of ways. So yep. I kind of had I kind of had a couple of editors in mind that I wanted to approach. And I did approach them, but I approached them in the total wrong way. I was like, I have 40,000 words and it's not finished, but do you want to see this thing I'm working on? And that's not <laughs> the way to do anything. That I would never I would never pitch an incomplete fiction manuscript. And that's what I did myself. I didn't have distance to do it. I did it myself. And it was just so haphazard and, and amateur. But they, they knew me. And yeah. when I said to them, I, I can get the other 40,000 words to you in a month, they believed me and I delivered and that was great. Yeah. Uh, but it was just the most haphazard thing. But 
um, very early on in the process, it became clear that Kate Stevens from Hachette, who is one of the top editors I really wanted to work with, she just completely got the story and didn't yeah. ask me to change anything and totally understood why it was kind of two stories in one of this girl's coming-of-age narrative within her own family and then this outside world come crashing in. She totally yeah. got why I both of them running simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and I really trusted her. So, and she trusted me. She trusted me with 40,000 words of an incomplete story when yep. I promised her, oh, it'll, it'll only go up to 60,000 words. And it ended up being 80,000 words. And she was like, <laughs> that's okay. We can, we can pair it back. So she was just the right choice a thousand percent because she loved Fred from the beginning and she completely understood what I was trying to do. And she encouraged me to do it. So, yep. but I, I do not recommend letting agents pitch their own work. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't have done it. I did it all. I, if Jacinta's listening to this and finding out the way that I pitch myself, she will have a conviction. It's all right. Like, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll blacklist Jacinta, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the good news is I let her take the reins after that. And she did yeah, the contract and everything. And, and, and I won't be that badly behaved author ever again. <laughs> Well, I think it comes down to, excuse me, and Pamela and I have sort of really noticed that um, Australian publishing is about relationship. So you had the relationship and that worked for you. And that that sort of just really sings time and time again in in children's book editing as well. So speaking of editing, you said you pants the whole way for five years. So not a lot of structure. Did you find that the editing part when you came down to it, like you said you were working with Kate, was that excruciating or was it just par for the course? Like I always wonder whether pantsers need more editing than plotters. Oh, I definitely had a bloated manuscript and there was a lot we had to cut, mostly to do with family life. Yeah. Uh, which is fine because I now know I'm somebody who's always going to gravitate towards family life. So anything that had to be cut, I've kind of stored away and thought maybe there's a story in that in itself. Maybe it was too. Yeah. So that's completely fine. What I more had a problem with was because this is a story inspired by true events was I was sticking to a timeline very really. There was the, the the refugees arrived in June and were kind of out of here by November by government mandate. Um, so I, I had to hit these markers of certain events happening, world events and Australian political events happening. And what really did my head in was I had a wonderful editor, Karen Ward, who had to basically go through the manuscript and timeline dot everything that was happening and then check that against real events. Yeah. Yeah. And there was some times when she'd be like, you know, we're in May now, but we're meant to be in June or this happened in August, but we're in September. And that stuff just did my head in. Wow. And, I, and, I, and I kind of swore to never again write a historic <laughs> fiction that has to stick. And, and, you know, the next one I've worked on, it, there's like the year the map's changed is a year in, the, in Fred's life. So it's a year-long trajectory, which in itself is such a trick with an yeah. editor to, to be like, we're in Chapter 23, we're in June. And, and just all the logistics of that is just crazy. So from, I'm not at all surprised that for my young adult manuscript that I've just submitted to Kate, I've stuck it to a one-month timeline and it's completely right. made up. It's, it's a totally made-up story. It's not sticking to any <laughs> reality. 
Uh, because obviously I needed to give myself that break because it just yep. did my head in to have to go yep. back and read and read political transcripts and see what date they spoke on and how they yep. correlate. It, it was just <laughs> my hat tips because I didn't really actively write this like it was historic fiction. I mean, I did, but because yeah. my pants, I, had, I had to like trick myself into thinking, no, it's not a historical fiction story, but of course it yep. is. Yeah. And just. I, I'm a historian anyway. I love history, but my gosh, having to follow a trajectory and a, and a timeline when you're trying to write a fiction story as well just did my head in. So that was yep. the excruciating part for sure. Oh, and I'm I sure if I, if I was a plotter, I probably would have had a really neat catalogue of all of the major historic events running alongside the fiction events, and it would have been a lot. It would have made a lot more sense. But I'm yep. I, I'm the jerk that made one of my editors do that. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> Well, Karen, I mean, I'm also, sorry. once you've got the, the bones of that, that's when the teacher, the teacher sort of contacts and come in and do those those teaching notes and make it actually yeah. look like you knew what you were doing. <laughs> so. Oh, my teacher notes are incredible and I'm so thankful for them. And it actually, I mean, I knew that I was writing to theme. I mean, it's called The Year the Maps Changed, Geography and the Geography of Family and yeah, you know, political geography as well, like physical geography, the movement of people and the changing geography of growing up as well is all in there. And I knew I was doing that, but to have a teacher come along and say, Hey, this is how we're going to talk about it with kids was really kind of incredible. And my teacher's notes were done by Robin Sheehan Bright, who's yep. just remarkable and her teacher's notes were so good and she and you're right she made me sound really really smart uh, <laughs> I so appreciated that and if I could whenever I do school events I would just love to do like a, a, a monosyllabic you know reading of the teacher's notes to them because yes. she's, she's represented <laughs> me better than I could ever represent myself so Fantastic. there you go so let's talk book covers. Yours is glorious, and I believe it may have been illustrated by Astrid Hicks. Can yes. you talk us through the process? Oh, well, first of all, the the book wasn't called The Year the Maps Changed. I had the working title Operation Safe Haven for right. a really long time. And Kate sort of said to me, that sounds like it should be a mystery, like a sleuthy yes. Yeah, and I said, oh, very, very true. So for a long time it was untitled and it was Kate one night who emailed me, I think, and said, I've got it. And she totally did. The second I, I read The Year the Maps Changed, I got goosebumps and thought, oh, that's going to yep. make such a great book cover. I can just imagine. We knew it had to be a map of some description on the cover. Yeah. Um, Astrid came up with a lot of different concepts, like a lot of concepts, and I would love it if I could share them or if she was to share them on her Instagram channel now that she has. Yep. I would love if she go through her thinking for them because they were some really wonderful covers with you know illustrations of kids on bikes because this is 1999 and kids yes. are tooling the Mornington Peninsula and it's very Goonies-esque and I loved that but we we landed on that there should be a map represented on the cover just because of the great title and of course. The, the cover I have now the color scheme is what mostly changed it was kind of an electric blue and yellow kind of primary yep. colors to begin with and I kind of said I love the layout but I don't love the coloring I'd love it to look a little bit more 90s not sophisticated <laughs> yeah like like a little bit deeper hues and everything so yep. Astrid actually came up with quite a few different color schemes for the roads and all that kind of stuff yeah and we landed on what we did and then I just and then very 
coolly, I was able to send her like photos of um, the Portsea Hotel and stuff and say, can I have that included on the map? And yep. and then it was also things like showing her a police car from the 90s, like an Australian police car. So yes. that we had that, that, that great white with the checkered blue to really yes. represent this is an Aussie police car. Um, and, yeah, it was just very, very cool. So Astrid's Fantastic. I couldn't believe the number of concepts that she came up with and how many she was happy to just discard, but they were really, yep. really good. And I was like, yeah, use them for something else. That's Sign of a true professional. Yep. <laughs> uh, she, she, she also did one of my authors, Jenna Guillaume's What I Like About Me. Yes. And, and I, knew, I knew from that. And those It's a wonderful cover. Uh, she's she's a mastermind and she does really come up with like 20 different concepts and she has a reason behind all of them and it's so much fun it's really what you imagine publishing to be yeah like running through the 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 concepts from the art department it's like you're in an episode of younger it's amazing (laughs) it's very fun to work with so this is your debut middle grade and we are recording this in the midst of a pandemic Mm-hmm. Um, everything's cancelled, book launches are cancelled, right. but we know that books will prevail. So tell us the, thing, the things you'll be doing in your debut year. Oh, look, really fun because I've been also a book blogger since 2009 on my book yes. blog, Alpha Reader. That was how I yep. started out in publishing. I started out book blogging. Yes. Um, so since 2009, I've been a book blogger and it's true that book blogging has kind of fallen off a little bit as things like vlogging on YouTube have, have risen and Instagram and Tumblr and everything. Yes. But interestingly, now because physical events are cancelling, we're having to move a lot of stuff online as much as we can. I'm yep. actually thrilled that book blogging is making a comeback. Yes. Uh, this is where I started. So I have... Um, Data Book at OzYA Bloggers, for instance, have, are doing an Australia New Zealand book review tour for me. Yay. And the book review tour is going to be on from April 27th to May 3rd. And originally, I think it was Hashtag Australia saying we have 25 advanced copies to give out to book bloggers yep. who happen to, to make the tour. And I've since said to them, look, with everything that's happening, how about there can still be 25 people who receive an, a, a special copy from Hachette, but yep. truly any anyone who wants to host a book review tour or do a Q&A with me, I will, Absolutely. which is really fun. So yep. in my mind, if 100, I doubt that 100 people would want to do this with me, but if 100 people wanted to do a <laughs> Q&A with me, I would 1,000% do it. If, if 100 people wanted me to do a, a guest post on their blog, yep. I would 1,000% do it. So given Fantastic. that I started out, in book blogging and it's a little bit old school retro now I'm almost a little bit it feels like coming home a little bit to be going back to book blogging as physical events cancel I totally dig it I totally understand because I am also a former book blogger (laughs) and I used to be part of this kidlit blog hop which used to be it used to be huge um it has since ended but um my blog is still there (laughs) chugging away it could, it could all come back at any second. Uh, so that feels great. And then otherwise, again, because I'm also an agent, I'll tell you what I've been telling my authors as well because I, I even have a couple of my authors, Anna Waitley and Kay Kerr. Anna Waitley yes. is Peter Liars, Rating Normal, and Kay Kerr's Please Don't Hug Me, young adult novels, but also have April 28 release dates. And 
we're all staring down the same barrel of pandemic and doing what we have to for the greater good. And I mean, there's literally a quarantine station in the year the maps change. I totally get it. I, yep. I'm I'm not going to be the author who's like, no, still come to my book launch. Yeah, Just of course. cover your map. Like, no. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm at the moment we're letting bookshops dictate if they want to go ahead because also obviously bookshops, independent bookshops where I was going to have all my launches are going to feel the pinch swell. Yes, they need and the business. Yeah. If it, if it so happens that in four weeks we've controlled this thing, then cool. I'd love to drive some customers and money their way. But if not, we're obviously not going to put everyone at risk. But what I'm, saying, what I'm saying to my authors especially is children's books endure. And we, yes. we do so in a way that's even unique and different from adult authors. Adult authors really do kind of have a more limited window to make an impact yep. because – Unlike children's authors and young adult authors, they don't have the kind of schools landscape to then tap into and go and do schools talks and assemblies and workshops with young people who are who are actually our audience. Yes, of course. Um, our books live on because schools are always there, kids are always there, festivals are always going on for younger people in a way that they're just not for adults. Um, so our books were, will endure because they're now a part of us. And we will be going and talking to our actual audience of young people about these books for yeah. years to come, for years to come. And we will just go on and it won't look the way we thought our debut would look. And that's really sad. And we should totally feel that we yeah. shouldn't deny those feelings. We're allowed to feel sad and frustrated and angry and unsure. That's completely okay. But to also know that books are magic and they will go on and they will find their readers and exactly. we find readers and we will stick around and these books are an extension of us. We will keep talking about them. We will keep spruiking them. They will find the readers they need to and it will all be okay. Yes, exactly. Oh, well, courage and bravery are, you know, obviously necessary, but yeah, you've got all the right recipe there for your debut year. So, and of course the Mavens are cheering you on. So, <laughs> Thank you so much. And Thank you. we like to finish with a quick six rapid fire question round. So here goes, keyboard or pen and paper? Keyboard. Favorite writing snack? Oh, my gosh. I really love salted tomatoes on rye bread. Oh, gosh. I've got to go and have some now, <laughs> except for the rye bread because I'm wheat intolerant. But anyway, okay, tea or coffee? Tea. Ebook or the real thing? Real thing. Cats or dogs? I know the answer to this uh, one. <laughs> dogs, but I also I've been looking at pictures of kittens on Instagram and I think I want another cat, uh, uh, but dogs. Oh, I know your dog. I feel sorry for him. Never mind. Comedy or tragedy? Oh, comedy. Of course. So where can we find you online if our listeners are interested in checking out your books? Uh, look, find me on Twitter. I am Danielle underscore Binks. On Instagram, I am dbinks. And I'm also at daniellebinks.com. Great. Well, good luck with your debut, the year the maps changed, Danielle, and the Mavens are wishing you so well on your journey and thanks for joining us. 
thank you so much. And let me just say to the entire KidLit community, keep calm and carry on. Keep writing. Of course. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us at Middle Grade Mavens. Next up, we have another bonus episode. We chat to author Chrissy Perry and Meg Whelan from Affirm Press. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, drop by julieangrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckermain.net. <laughs>